Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to the story behind her success. There are so many podcasts out there for you to consume, and I'm very fortunate that you've chosen this one. My goal is always to inspire you, to show you what you can do. You can do anything. And sometimes when we hear how someone else got to where she wants to go, we say to ourselves, hmm, if she can do it, I can do it. Today's story is about a woman who has used her creative talents throughout her entire life. She's a singer, an actress, a TV spokesperson, a producer, and the co-creator of a play that has made history. She's the force behind sheer madness, celebrating its 40th year playing theaters worldwide. In fact, sheer madness, wait for it, is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest running play in the history of the United States. What an accomplishment. I had to know what makes this woman tick. Her name is Marilyn Abrams, and this is her story. Marilyn, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here, Candy. So much fun. Okay, so take me back to the idea for this play called Sheer Madness. Did you have a brainstorm one day and just put pen to paper and write it down? Tell me. I used to work in the summer theater with my now still partner, Bruce Jordan in Lake George, New York. Because Lake George! Lake I know George. Lake George. Yes, yes, yes. We both lived in upstate New York. We worked together and we had done a number of shows together. Bruce said to me that he knew about this solve the crime, very serious perception in what people view when they're going back in steps leading up to a crime. There's a great part for me and a great part for you. Any actor in the world wants a great part, naturally. <laughs> so I said yes, except when I saw the script, which was about four pages. It now is about 400 pages. I thought, oh, my God, this is crazy. There was nothing to do, nowhere to go. It was so much improv. I knew Bruce, and I knew he was a terrific director, so I had confidence in him. So you signed on and said, okay, I'm going to do this with you. I said, yeah. Now, what? there's one thing about having an idea, right? But then there's another thing when you have to nurture it. It's like sowing seeds in a garden. you got to water it every day. So tell me how that initial conversation between Bruce and you started and then how Sheer Madness got on a stage. First of all, we renamed it from its German name, Scherenschnitt. What? <laughs> what you, does Scherenschnitt mean? It, it means cutouts, but don't ask me how to spell it. Okay. okay? I, I will not. We named it Sheer Madness. We workshopped it for two summers in Lake George. People used to go to Lake George from Boston. They would wait for us afterward, and it was in very rough form. And they'd say, oh, my God, this is terrific. You've got to come to Boston. On our day off, we went to Boston, and we found the Charles Playhouse. Sure Madness has played all over the world. The Charles Playhouse is the very best theater that it's in. It, it is perfect Why? for it. Why? Because it's small. The play is interactive. The audience becomes part of it, and it surrounds the stage so that the audience can see one another and interact with the actors. So we found this perfect theater. By that time, we had worked out some of the kinks, but nothing like the work that it took to really get it going. Here you have the idea, and you workshopped it for a couple summers. People start reacting to it. Is it like an organic experience? 
for us it was candy. And I think that that had a huge impact on the success of Sheer Madness. Of course, we had very small audiences, and it's a small theater, and we couldn't do major advertising, but the two of us were in the play. And that really made the difference because we knew if we had 13 people in the audience, those 13 people were having a fabulous time. We just had to figure out how to get more of them. And that's a story in itself. So you played the role of Barbara DeMarco I did. in the original, and it was really just an eight-week run for the play. Yes. Along the way, after those eight weeks, you decided, I can't leave this thing. We opened January 29th, 1980. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Crazy. Along about April, our ad agency said, you guys have really tried so hard and you're doing your best, but Really and truly, you should close now because nothing plays in Boston in the summer. Honestly, you know those light bulbs that you see in cartoons? Simultaneously, we said, great, we'll be the only show in town. We finally made money in August, and people came pouring in, and you just couldn't get a seat. You know, it's so interesting the way you said that. You said it was like a, a light bulb moment. Totally, right? totally. And you believed in the play. We really believed in it because we were in it and we saw those audiences. First of all, getting involved, it's a normal thing. People want to figure out who did it. Who done it, right? Who done it. (laughs) They want to figure it out. They want to be smarter than the actors. Mike Nichols, a very famous director, said to us, you have the best of all possible worlds. You have a play with a beginning, a middle, and an end. People really want to know who done it. On any given night, if the improvisation doesn't work perfectly, you still have that plot underneath you. It's just a natural thing to want to solve a crime. You know, it's interesting. I can't remember who it was, but it was years and years ago when I interviewed an actress. She also did a lot of improv. And she said, every night on the stage is different. Different every night. And when the audience is part of it, When the audience changes every night, it's almost like when a teacher walks into a classroom. Every year is different. So every night must be magic. Every night is magic. The things change every night. The questions are different every night. One of our mottos is let the audience win. Because sometimes a member of the audience will get the biggest laugh of anybody of the night. Well, imagine how that person goes home and feels like, oh, my God. I really knocked them dead tonight at Sheer Madness. Well, that's a pun I was also. the star of Sheer Madness. <laughs> so you decide to stay, and you take on all sorts of roles. And I'm talking about on the business side I kn- that you were not necessarily trained for. How did that go, Marilyn? I intended to act in the play. I intended to stay for eight weeks. There's still is a sign on our garage door in our home in Albany that said, send her back with a drop of blood on it. <laughs> this and is what your family said. This is says. what my family did. Oh, my God. <laughs> but somebody had to figure out how to really sell the tickets. I thought that the first thing we should do would be to go after the groups because that's the money in the bank when you have advanced You mean like when people are organizing a tour to go through Boston? Or corporates. At that time, businesses did a lot of corporate meetings. 
and employee recreation. I researched how to find these group leaders, and I never tried to sell them. I know the audience loves it. So when I contacted these people and spoke to them, which was a wonderful experience, I love the customers, and you get to talk to everybody, or we did at that time, I would just invite them to the show and then call them the next morning. That was the sale. And I'll never forget my first sale. The man's name was Gene Fallon. It was the Genrad Corporation. And he said, oh, I loved it. I want 200 seats. <laughs> that was a big day for you. I couldn't breathe. And I said to him, well, I'll check our availability. <laughs> <laughs> Playing it cool. There was Marilyn going, well, let me check Very and cool. See. I couldn't breathe. <laughs> but that was the way we started. Just let the customers make up their own minds. And when you have a group base, that's a terrific thing. And, you know, this is like one-on-one -on -one customer marketing because there's no email. There's no fax machine. It's what's on television. It's what's getting covered. It's what's in the newspaper. And it's called the phone. Yeah, actually getting them to answer the phone and speak to you. You had known Bruce Jordan having co-starred with him in a few plays before. Yes. How did your collaboration work? in terms of being the co-creators and the co-producers of this thing? I never felt that I wanted to be in the dressing room as a producer. Nobody knew I was the co-producer. A dressing room is a very special place, and you have incredible camaraderie. I just wanted to be part of that company and just another actor. And at that point, I didn't have a role. I wasn't trying to sell the tickets after a while, but for quite a while, nobody you knew. You were just behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, because I wanted it to be that way. It should be that way in a dressing room. We you, couldn't have it with Bruce, because he was also on stage and the director, but for me, there was no reason just to be another member of the company. And you didn't want to, in particular, boss people around. You just wanted to get the job done. No, and, and I thought that the chemistry of the acting company might change having that. I have to say that when we had our celebration the other night, I really, three of our original members of the cast were there, and I could scarcely hold back the tears being with them again and, of course, reliving all the crazy things that happen and the fun of a dressing room. A producer should stay out of the dressing room. You wouldn't change a thing, right? Nope. Nope. Well, here we go. 40 years 12.5 million people around the world have seen Sheer Madness. It's been translated into all these different languages. There are 50 production companies that were born to do this play all around the world. How does that feel? Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of Tech Help Boston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. 
It takes teamwork to put a weekly series like this together. I am so grateful to Jordan Rich and Ken Carberry for giving the story behind her success a home at Chart Productions. And to Dan Tebow, our editor from Fast Twitch Media. JC Valeris at Platinum Circle Media, who handles our social media marketing and so much more. Thank you all for making me look so good. Well, it's very, very exciting. We've been all over Italy and Spain. One of the things in Spain that is very, very funny is Mrs. Schubert, the socialite customer in Spain, had a name with about at least 11 characters before <laughs> it. And, and it was a big laugh how she roll over all of her titles. No matter where it is, the structure of it remains that the audience simply has to become a part of it. That's the construction of the play that no matter where you are. Our first production was in Barcelona, and the people who had seen our play in Chicago said, we want it, but we're going to have a problem. The people won't join in the way they, the Americans do. They don't feel as free. Candy, they <laughs> ran to the stage. You know, people are people, no matter what language they speak. Yes, absolutely. I believe that we are all products in some way of our upbringing and the people who love us. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood, where you come from, and what life was like in your house? I grew up in New York City. I, I always sang and always acted. I was going to be a musical comedy star. There was no doubt in my mind. That was my ambition. But I had a very wonderful family. I went to a wonderful high school and wonderful university. You went to the Bronx School of Science. The Bronx High School of Science. Based on my research. Yes. So you had to be wicked smart to get in oh, there. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I wasn't as smart as the other kids, but they were pretty smart. I went to Cornell, but I didn't study acting because at that time, people took elocution lessons. Oh, elocution yes. lessons. And my parents thought, oh, my God, we, we don't want to do that. I didn't major in that in college, nor did I major in business, which is what I've ended up doing now. But I had a wonderful, wonderful, happy childhood. I met my husband in summer camp in the Berkshires. But when you ask about my upbringing, I was always taught, here we are talking about me on air, but it was always, you know, when you perform, Marilyn, just do it. And then when you're off the stage, you're you, and don't carry any of those things with you. It's helped me throughout my life. As a matter of fact, the first time I went to an agent's office to get work in New York, Bruce took me, and he said, now you tell him what you can do. I said, I just can't do that. You're never supposed to talk that way. He said, well, you better talk that way, and he put his hand on my back and pushed me in the door. My father's biggest piece of advice throughout my entire life, and by the way, born and raised in the Bronx. My, really? Yes. My daddy said to me, Candace, be humble. I'll tell you a funny story. I got my start in radio as the secretary to the program director. And the way I got on the air was when a disc jockey fell asleep and my boss didn't have anybody to put on that night. Now, of course, my ambition and expectation was that I would always be on the air. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I was ready at the time. And so I got my first shot and I got on the air and I was terrible. I have the tapes to prove it. But I started feeling pretty good about myself. Uh -huh. And every Wednesday, I had to answer the phones at the radio station because I was one of the secretaries. And I was very put off by this. And I went home and I told my father, can you believe 
that they're having me answer the phones. And my father took one look at me and said, stay humble. <laughs> stay humble. The same kind of upbringing that you it's had, It's those right? two Bronx fathers. Yeah. That's all. They, got, they were in cahoots, I think. <laughs> have you had a mentor or a role model throughout your life? I think my high school teachers, I would put it that way. I went to the Bronx High School of Science, and here was this kid who they had a talent show, and I sang. And all of these teachers, they said, oh, my God, this kid has talent. We're going to have assemblies for her so that she can showcase her talent. And they did do that because they were such extraordinary teachers that even though I wasn't too good in chemistry or physics, they created atmospheres for me to shine. And the principal at that time gave me a recommendation to Cornell University, even though I was not the valedictorian or the salutatorian. But he said, here's somebody who can do something very unusual. What happens to you when you get on a stage, and especially when you sing? Oh, it's wonderful. And you you do forget your nerves. You're nervous before you go on. And sometimes when you have a pivotal role, I always used to think, I wish I was in the chorus, because there's so much responsibility that is on you. But once you get there, you love it. It's that audience and... It's the beauty of the music. I'm looking at roles in Mame and Funny Girl and Gypsy. These are great vocal roles great. for a singer. Yeah. And you loved every minute of I it. I loved it. It was the world of musical comedy, which I think is one of the great things in the American theater. When an obstacle is in your path, Marilyn Abrams, co-creator of <laughs> Sheer Madness, what do you do about it? How do you get it out of your way? I worry. Like everybody else, I worry and I try to solve it. What else can you do? I don't turn away or turn back. The thought is, is this something I can solve? And there are certain things that happen in your life that you have no control over and you can't cure. But an obstacle is an obstacle, but an obstacle can be moved. I go ahead. In the end, it's all about the story, isn't it? In your opinion, as an actress, as a producer, as a creator, what makes for a great story? I think your story. I think that if you can tell your story, when my son was in business school at Cornell, the dean of the business school had found out about me. He said, gee, we got to get your mother to come in to talk. Well, I was panicked. I said, oh, this is a business school. They're going to want charts and graphs. And and monies, and all of that, and I panicked. And finally, my daughter said to me, Greeny, tell your story. Just tell your story. That's it. Any wisdom, life lessons that you could pass along? What do you wish you knew when you first got started? Actresses always want to be better. Very rarely do you walk off the stage and say, that was perfect. It's always, oh, that was good, but I could have done this better. I wish I knew more to get it started early and recognizing the value of word of mouth. I didn't know that. I learned it riding my bicycle around Boston and delivering the rack cards to the concierges at the hotel and saying, come on over and see it. I think your guests are going to like the show. I didn't know that, but I learned it. You learn word of mouth is the most powerful form of advertising. Because relationships are everything. Everything. 
At this moment, Marilyn Abrams, at this chapter in your life, what does success mean to you? It means that I've accomplished a lot of things. It means that I can go to work every day. You probably have to have guessed my age by this time, and it's a ripe old one. You tell everybody. And I am 80, and I am so grateful that I wake up every morning and I go to work. And I'm so happy. I'm so grateful for that. And I'm very grateful that I'm healthy, that I walk every day, and I solve my problems on my walk every day. Well, Sheer Madness is celebrating 40 years, 50 productions in the United States, translated into 23 different languages. Your success is amazing, and it has been my honor to have you on the story behind her success. Marilyn Abrams, thank you so much. Congratulations. Thanks so much, Candy. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?